The following content is rated explicit for language in adult situations. So listen with headphones. Or don't. We don't judge. Have you ever wished that your world had more magic? Or that your favorite character had survived? How about a full-length spinoff of your favorite childhood series? Then do we have a podcast for you? Hello, everyone. I'm Claire. And I'm Kat. And this is Fire, Whiskey, and Honey, the podcast about your favorite novel-length Potter fan fiction. The Dead of Time. Each episode, we read a chapter of this story. Which I try to remember from week to week. Try being the operative word. Without further ado, here's our recap of last week's chapter of The Dead of Time. Hi, Kat. Hi. So before we hop into this week's episode, I just want to, I have a question for our British listeners and European listeners in general, but mostly the UK. Do you watch The Crown on Netflix? Because I'm watching it and I'm like, wow, I didn't know that happened. Wow, I didn't know that happened. Wow, I knew that happened, but I didn't know all the details. And I feel like I should know this stuff because this isn't terribly, you know, some of it happened before I was born obviously but like a lot of it I feel like I lived through or at least should have known but I don't know a lot of it and so I'm wondering a did you guys know all this crap and b do you watch the show and go gasp or are you just like yeah this is kind of like watching a dramatized version of my history books well then I I guess you haven't heard that because there are some British, like, historians and people that are, like, within, I guess, like, the family who have been asking Netflix to put a this is fictional on there because Americans are taking it as facts, but Netflix refuses to do it, apparently, because they see no reason. So I don't know how they're going to feel about that. <laughs> well, no, because, like, I, whenever something happens, I generally Google it. And essentially what they've done is they do have a historian working on it and writing it. So, like, the general facts are accurate. A lot of, like, the, you know, one-on-one conversations, you don't really know what happened. You, the, the best thing you can do is guess. So, like, that part's kind of hard. But, like, the major facts, like, Princess Diana's trip to uh, Australia and how she became a smashing success and how Philip ended or no, Philip Charles ended up getting, you know, really jealous and kind of a dick about it. Like that all really happened. Uh, Diana's bulimia, that really happened. Like there's a lot of stuff that we know happened, but then there's also the, did Prince Philip have an affair? And he has sworn up and down that he didn't, but we don't actually know. But yes, like it is dramatized for television, but the main facts are accurate, and I feel like my hat is squeaking against my freaking earbuds, so I'll take that off. But anyway, it's cold here in Tennessee. Yeah, it's cold here too. Not as cold as it is there, but it's cold here too. Yes, yes, our our ideas of cold are very different these days, but... Yeah, I know. My dad's dental guy that is in Nashville was down the other day, and I met him, and he was like, I'm so happy to be in this weather, and I'm just yeah it's cold for us but okay now let me just pop into google real quick because i want to do a quick fahrenheit to celsius so cat when would you say you start breaking out coats at like 70 degrees 68 
No, it, like for me down here, I'm cold in the 60s, but I'm good with like a jacket and a long sleeve shirt. But if I'm going to bust out like the puffy coat, it has to be like 50s. Okay, so we'll say 65 for just a hoodie, right? Yes. Would you say 65 yeah. for a hoodie? 65 degrees yeah, like, height, two Celsius. Right now, yeah, right now it's like 64, so I'm in a hoodie and I'm cold, so. All right, so we'll, we'll go with 64. Yeah. So 64 degrees is about 18 degrees Celsius, just so our yes. European people follow. Meanwhile, I am in 35 degree weather, which is about one and a half degrees Celsius, so. Claire's colder Claire than is I colder am. than Kat is. But yes, that is okay. Which is fine. That is okay. This is fine. Oh, and, and when she said she was breaking out the puffy coats at 50 degrees, that is 10 degrees Celsius. So. Yeah. So between... But I rarely ever have to wear that puffy one down here. Oh, wait, so. no. You said the 50s. So we'll say that's 59. So that is 15 degrees Celsius. So between 15 and 18 degrees Celsius is when Kat is breaking out winter coats. Yeah. Like when I went go to North Carolina for Thanksgiving and see my cousin, it's freezing there. And I definitely got to bring the puffy coat there. Yeah. This is the ones that doesn't get as cold as it got in Chicago last year. It was like, what, negative 20-something? It was like the winter vortex. My sister did the thing where you boil the water and you take it outside and you throw it in the air and it turns into snow. It's very cool. Um, but, but anyway, we're here to talk about something very important, something that you all have come to know and love, the dead of time. So, Kat, what had happened was... And I know because we did this twice, even though last time was just a paragraph, yeah. but I got oh, this. Oh, God, I didn't bring water. I'm going to die. Okay, anyway, continue. Okay, so we left off after everybody learning about Maya's uh, horizontal tango with Remus and Sirius and Jamie finding out and all that jazz. So pretty much... It was about, like, her and Sirius, who was it, Sirius or Remus? Sirius, yes, because he would, yes, okay. So her and Sirius pretty much, like, having a conversation about, like, all of this stuff and her reminding him again that, hey, dude, maybe you should learn Occlumency, and he's still not understanding it. I did like your life so, yeah, I did too. Like, I, I, I finally understood that. So, that's cool. So, she's trying to get him to do that. And he's just like, typical guy, whatever, bro. Like, I don't understand any of this. So, then she catches him in the library and Boogie. starts like, feel it. Huh? Boogie. Serious. Remus. Remus. Sorry. Okay. So catches Remus in the library, starts feeling up, getting him all hot and bothered and stuff, and, like, telling him that she wants him to, like, bend her over the table and stuff, and then they end up, like, bumping uglies against the, uh, bookshelf and stuff by the book. We didn't actually see that part. Yes. We just discussed it. Yeah, well, they're gonna do it. Most likely. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm guessing. I don't know. So that was pretty much what happened. I would, I would say uh, that seems pretty accurate to me. I have nothing to add. Okay, cool. Um, oh, except uh, Hermione. God, why? Ah! The last couple of weeks have just been terrible about that. But Maya and Lily talking about Snape being a piece of shit and all that kind of crap. And Amartensha and tricking him into taking Belby's potion. But um, they did not do that. But it was a tempting thing. But uh, this is a long chapter, longer than the last two at least, so prepare yourself for some reading. Uh, Author's note, thank you so much for all of the reviews, I love you all dearly, and the constant support. Uh, This was one of my favorite chapters to write because I really think it's a moment where Maya really takes charge of her relationships and is learning to try and separate out the future from the present and how knowing one is affecting the other on a personal level. There are also some references to the future, or Maya's past, as well as past chapters. Chapter 57, Intent. September 9th. Oh my fucking god. It's literally moving like a day or two at a time. We're still in the first 10 days of September. Well, Shia is a Slytherin. Oh yeah, yeah. Torture. The torture. <sighs> September 9th, 1976. Maya's eyes opened slowly as sunlight broke through the boarded-up windows of the shrieking shack. Despite there being a bed in the other room, she found herself on the floor in what would have been a sitting room had it been a real house and not a condemned building. She yawned and let her muscles stretch out, jumping only slightly at the feel of a warm, naked body behind her, pressed up hard against her own. She smiled as she felt Remus's lips brush over her bare shoulders, then down her arm and over her ribs— He stopped when he reached her hip, letting his teeth graze against the skin. A shiver ran through her at the implications of his movements. Maya knew that werewolf mating habits knew werewolf mating habits because she had read up on them so much. Plus, Tonks had been just as bad as Ginny when it came to girl talk, and had once shown Hermione her mating scars during a post-war drinking celebration. Remus might not have known what the simple action of his teeth against her skin meant, but Maya knew that Mooney did, which was why she was not at all surprised when, or not at all surprised in the slightest when, instead of biting down on the flesh of her hip, Remus pulled his teeth away and left behind a sweet open-mouthed kiss on her skin. It didn't bother her much. Maya knew that Remus would never mark her as his mate. Mooney wouldn't let him even if he tried. Still, a part of her felt it would make everything easier. No. She couldn't think like that. She needed to forget about the future in order to think logically and focus on the here and now as she had decided. Live your life. Enjoy your life. Sort out your life, Maya added, thoughtfully. Remus continued to kiss along the skin of her hip, and she imagined he was doing so to apologize for the bruises he had left from the night before, despite her insistence that she strangely enjoyed looking at them. There was something thrilling and almost comforting in the feeling of being possessed in such a way, yet not coming across as a possession. Remus had captivated every part of her, and the memories were lulling her into a blissful euphoria. They had not even made it the whole way through the underground passage to the Shrieking Shack before Maya pushed Remus to the ground to straddle his waist. The pair tore at one another's clothing in absolute frenzy of need and want. They took in every look, every action, every noise from one another and basked in them all. 
His fingers gripped tightly at her hips as she rolled them against him, her breath hot on his cheeks, whispering filthy words of his hunger for her and her arousal for him, his mouth sliding over her lips, across her jaw, and down her neck, taking in the taste of her skin, her nails digging into the already overly sensitized skin of his chest, which caused him to buck his hips against her and then tear away the bits of fabric that separated them. The two... <laughs> The eyebrows are already up. The two groaned together at the reunion of their bodies. Remus sat up and pulled her buddy body flush against her, against his own. Jesus, I can't fucking talk. As her legs wrapped around his waist, they stilled in the moment of their joining, kissing deeply and wordlessly expressing apologies to one another for waiting so long and being unbelievably ignorant in regard to, to their breakup. It was not long before Maya was shaking with the need to move, her body craving friction, and her hips circling in his lap, plucking the most savory and primitive sounds from deep within his chest that drove her crazy. Pushing and pulling her in every direction, she dragged out each and every moment. The uh, pearls are being grasped. There is a two clutched hands right in front of her mouth. She's blushing, folks. The moon uh, in the distance was preparing its ascent into the sky, and as much as they wanted to linger on the precipice of absolute rapture, they were both determined to have at least one more go before he transformed. An hour later, the werewolf watched with amusement as the little fox climbed the random pieces of furniture in the shrieking shack until she could sit high on a windowsill and stare out through the cracks in the boarded-up windows, staring out at the moon as though it were suddenly something incredibly wonderful. Breathe. Breathe. <laughs> Remember when we were talking about what temperature I have to wear a hoodie? Well, this is the temperature that I shouldn't wear one. What What is the Fahrenheit to Celsius conversion of dead of time? <laughs> Holy mother Christ. <laughs> You're surprisingly awake considering it was the full moon last night. She whimpered a little when she felt his fingers lightly grazing against her knee, slowly ascending her thigh where he drew lazy circles against her leg. Do you need me to heal anything? Yeah. All set. This wand. <laughs> dick, dick. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I, I decided you. to keep it PG, but way to go, Claire. Uh, all set. Remus said into the crevice where her hip met her thigh. When I didn't show up in the infirmary this morning, Madame Pomfrey came to the Whomping Willow. She must not have been able to get through the wards you put up because she left all of my potions right outside. Maya raised a brow at him questioningly as her eyes raked over his glorious body. You walked all the way back to the Whomping Willow naked? Remus laughed. No. I got dressed, then went down, grabbed my potions, and came right back. Where you got undressed again? I'm incredibly optimistic after last night. He placed another kiss on her skin. Besides, it's not like anyone else could get through your security wards. Can you blame me for wanting a little privacy? Maya grinned, glad to see that his transformation had gone all right, and that the potions had already taken effect. After the temper tantrum Jamie threw last week, I wasn't about to let him into the shack last night, especially if he found out we came back well before moonrise. Or, we came well before moonrise. 
Yeah, you did. Twice. She let out a soft gasp when his breath ghosted over her navel, and she reached down to run her fingers through his sandy hair. Pretty sure Prongs would have figured it out, though, if he'd tried to end her. Remus winced at the thought, but didn't stop kissing his way across her stomach to the other side, reaching around her small body and turning her to grant him easier access as she hummed with approval. Maya sighed. I'll handle him. Remus laughed softly. I'm surprised the lads haven't hired a curse breaker to tear down your wards. I'm sure by now Jamie is terrified of accidentally walking in on us, Maya snickered. As for Sirius, if he was mended from that hex by the time the moon rose, I'm guessing he went back to the dorms to pout over not being able to play Animagus with us. And Peter? If I find that little rat sneaking around to catch us having sex again, I will joyfully watch him strangle himself to death, she said through clenched teeth, still horrified by the fact that the nasty little snoop had not only spied on her and Remus having sex, but that he had told her brother about it. What we do in the privacy of our own dorms, or room of requirement, or shack, or, or, she broke off with a laugh. Remus grinned. Or library. Or library. She agreed with a smile that softened when he rested his cheek against her breast. Is our own business, and not for someone to watch. Remus chuckled. I wouldn't mind if people watched. Way high on the eyebrows, people. Is there... In the magic world, is there the P word that rhymes with corn? Porn? I mean, I would assume so. Huh. Okay. I just didn't know if it was just a muggle thing or something. I mean, you gotta think they had it easier than we did, because their pictures move. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, the fat lady's looking at me. Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, That's the only picture I know, guys. I don't know who the other pictures are. I mean, I was referring to photographs, but yes. Uh, Maya noticed... Oh. <laughs> Maya noticed his eyes were still golden. She laughed and shook her head. You're either incredibly smug with your performance, or have been hiding away some deep, dark fantasies that you've neglected to tell me. Maybe both. He shrugged, and she laughed loudly, leaning forward to kiss him. When she released his mouth, he smiled at her, and suddenly, it was as though the whole world had fixed itself overnight. However, just as quickly as the smile came, it faded away and Remus sighed heavily. Are you going to tell me? Tell you what? She asked with a frown. In reply, Remus leant down and kissed the bottom edge of the purple scar that ran the length of her ribs. Maya inhaled deeply out of worry, but the feel of her, her the feel of his lips on her scar sent chills down her spine until heat began pooling again between her thighs. She closed her eyes, letting the feel of his body over hers warm her thoroughly, and pushed the stress and worry out of her with force. Do I have to? No, Remus answered, and crawled up her body, relaxing as he rested his head between her breasts. We all have the right to our secrets. I wish you would tell me, though. That's a dark scar, and it's only been a few months since I last saw you naked, which means it's recent. Maya muttered. 
I hate it. Well, if you would just learn Occlumency, she could tell you what it is. Tell him, cat. Well, it's true. If you would learn Occlumency, you would be able to know. I'm so proud of her, folks. I'm sorry, but this kid is dense. Then again, that's like most guys. It's like especially sixteen-year-old guys. I'm trying to tell. Yes, and it's like, do I have to draw you a map? Yes. Hermione's head pounded, and her muscles ached more than ever before. The room was pitch black and smelled of potions, and she assumed that she that meant she was in the hospital wing back at Hogwarts. If she was here, though, something had gone terribly wrong. She tried to remember, but it was only coming back in blurred images. She remembered leading Umbridge, that ugly pink toad in the form of a witch, into the Forbidden Forest. Then there were Thestrals, and a long trip where she kept her eyes shut the entire way. The Ministry of Magic. She remembered they had gone to save Sirius. Harry had a vision that was not really a vision, but they hadn't known that at the time. She remembered a large circular room with many doors, another room full of brains and a large tank, and yet another with time-turners that had all been broken during the scuffle with the Death Eaters. Death Eaters! They had been attacked by Death Eaters in the Room of the Prophecy. Hermione remembered being separated from the others, but she knew that Neville and Harry had been beside her. A Death Eater found them hiding in a room. She hadn't been fast enough, and when they were attacked, she had not been prepared. She remembered silencing uh, silencing one to prevent him from giving away their position to the others, and Harry had subdued another with a body-binding curse. Then she remembered the silenced Death Eater had stood and glared at her with a hate she had never seen before. She saw purple flames, felt a sharp pinch in her side, then nothing. Clearly, she had survived, but what about the others? She tried to let her eyes adjust to the darkness, but still couldn't see anything. She did, however, feel movement beside her bed. Only then did she notice that her hand was being held between two large palms. Harry? Hermione mumbled quietly, her throat dry and hoarse. She felt the hands around her own hold her tighter. Hermione? Professor Lupin, she replied, surprised at the sound of his voice. At her words, he let her go, and she thought she heard him sigh. What happened? Can you cast a Lumos? I don't know where my wand... No, Lupin whispered. It's... it's better that it's dark. You've been unconscious for several days, and... and the light could be painful. She couldn't help but wonder if he was lying. He seemed to be choking on a few of his words, and she heard him sniffle twice. He had been crying and didn't want her to see... Hermione frowned and began to panic. Professor, what happened? Where's Harry? Harry's fine, he promised her. Safe at last. The order arrived at the ministry in time. Well, none of you were... Some were injured, but you, Neville, Ron, Harry, Ginny, and Luna made it back. What happened to me? Hermione was finally able to ask, now that she knew Harry and her friends were safe. Not sure. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> you were hit with a powerful curse. Neville and Harry mentioned that the Death Eater who threw it had been silenced. We think you survived because of it. The words sounded painful to him as he spoke them, and Hermione could not help but feel guilty for it. She wondered if he felt embarrassed by her actions. He had been her def best defense professor she had ever had, and somehow she'd allowed herself to get cursed. Can I see it? Hermione asked, waiting for him to reply, but he didn't speak. About a minute later, 
He wordlessly lit the end of his wand and handed it to her. Hermione stared at the wand, wondering if a professor, or any adult ever, had so willingly just handed over their wand to her. A wand was something sacred to a witch or wizard. Their wand chose them. Staring at Lupin's wand, so willingly held out to her, trustingly held out to her, she delicately took it and tried to smile at him, but noticed that his face was turned away from her. She realized that he had looked away to afford her some privacy. Ooh, that was a mix between British privacy and American privacy. Um, as she was not properly dressed aside from the bandages that wrapped around her chest all the way down her ribs. She winced as she reached the bottom of the bandages, pulling at them lightly so she could see the scar that had been left behind. She frowned at the sight of the thin purple line that deeply dissected her torso, surrounded by paling yellow bruises. Her breath caught, and she whimpered at the sight of her disfigurement, proof that she had not been quick enough, strong enough, or powerful enough. They're just scars, Hermione. Lupin cleared his throat again, but didn't turn to look at her. Out of suffering has emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. Hermione smiled sadly. That's beautiful, Khalil Gibran, he mumbled. Poet. Wizard? Lupin took in a shaky breath. Muggle. Professor, is there something you're not telling me? Hermione inquired as she put her bandages back and pulled the bedsheet up around her chest. At her words, his shoulders began to shake, and she frowned at the slight sight of the strong man crying. She felt helpless as he sobbed quietly, his back to her. It was inappropriate, but she leaned forward to pat his back consolingly. He stiffened under her touch. Sirius is dead. She gasped. He's dead? Okay, this is from book five, Order of the Phoenix. This is, she's Hermione in this. He's her professor. This is from fifth year when they went to the Ministry of Magic and then Sirius died by falling through the veil. Yeah. This is the aftermath. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I caught that. I didn't think that they had some like weird kink as kids calling them. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, I got snot coming out my nose. (laughs) She gasped, a cold sickness twisting in her gut. No, oh no, is where's Harry? Oh God, Remus! She said the first his first name for the first time, not even noticing the faux pas. Remus, I'm so sorry. He was your best friend, and are you okay? Of course. I'm sorry. Of course you're not. Are you okay? She blinked in confusion before nodding. I'll be fine. I'm more worried about you and Harry. Because it's polite. Why is he asking if she's okay? Because they have a soul bond. Or should. But technically, hers triggers when she's just about to be 19. Right? Yeah, that's where this started. So when she goes back in time, she still has it with her and triggers it within Sirius. Which means that when we fast forward or rewind to when Hermione is only 16 when this story occurs, 15, 15, 
when she's only 15 when this happens, she hasn't provoked the soul bond yet. But Sirius had his provoked when he was in Hogwarts. So he has the soul bond. She doesn't. Oh. So that's why Remus was checking. He was He's trying to feel out if she's connected to Sirius yet. And she's not. I thought they were older now because they're bumping uglies. Okay, this is a flashback. Oh. To her fifth year. Okay. Then why'd she flashback. then why'd she call him Remus then? Well, that's the thing. that's why like that's why I said she said it for the first time and didn't even realize she made a faux pas. Like she's not supposed to call him Remus. He was formerly a right. professor, but she's trying to be right. friendly. So. But nobody corrected her and be like, I'm your professor. Well, he's not her professor. He hasn't been for like two years. Okay. But, um, he paused and his breath caught when he said, I'm, I'm used to losing the people I love. Her heart broke for him. But don't wor- uh, but worry about Harry. I'll do what I can. It's my job now to take care of him. Mine too, Hermione whispered, and frowned as he wept again. Lupin nodded. Our job. Dun-dun-dun! Okay, just need to take a quick... Just in case you haven't fully embraced the genius of what Shia has just painted for you. So, what we were looking at was something that occurred in 1995. Yes, 1995. Six because it's the end of their fifth year. So this is 20 years in the future, and if she goes back in 1999, and then goes back to 7166, so this is like eight or nine years past for her. I think I'm doing that math right. But essentially... What we're seeing here is now that we know that Maya and Remus knew each other growing up as children, it only makes sense that when he became an adult and was a professor and met Hermione Granger, he would make the connection between the two, right? Because he'd look down and be like, damn, this tiny little smartass is like weirdly similar to the girl that I grew up with. That's weird. And so the assumption is that he knows her from when she went into the past. So he, I think, so you also have to remember that she's not telling him where she got that purple scar. So it took him 20 years to find out. Yeah, because he didn't learn occlumency. That, that math doesn't, that math does add up. Yes, he didn't learn occlumency. So... 20 years later, he's finally finding out how she got that. He's also finally finding out what the cause was behind it and, like, how she ended up. And he feels like he wasn't there to protect her and he's her best friend. Um, And I think he's also kind of broken because if you think about it, James is gone. Peter's gone. Sirius is now gone. She's the last one of... uh, Lily's gone. She is the last one of his friends. And she has no idea who he is. Wow. And so it's just this incredibly sad, powerful moment. And then, and then, you have the Jamie Sirius Remus dynamic of we have to protect Maya. It's our job 
And then you fast forward 20 years and Jamie and Sirius are gone and it's just Remus and Maya and it's Jamie's kid. And now it's our job again. And it just, ugh. Ugh. Well, it wouldn't have to be their job if Harry would stop putting them in life or death situations every single time they go to school, but okay. Okay, but like for real. Yeah. It's like, I love those memes that, like, if it wasn't for Hermione, Harry and Ron would have died, like, page two. Oh, straight up. (sighs) But, yeah, if Hermione had died via troll, they never would have made it to the Sorcerer's Stone. Alright, so, Lupin nodded. Our job. We're now back in the present, which is actually the past. God, I love time travel novels. We're back in the 70s, kids. I'm back in the USSR. Don't know how lucky you are. Yeah, back in the USSR. Beatles, back in the USSR. Really? Yeah, no? I, 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 I get it. I just, that was. Okay. I don't know why that just popped in okay. my head. Well, you have to pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a scar. <laughs> Hairball. <laughs> No, no, it's like dropping my voice down. It's hard. It's just a scar, Maya. See? There it is. Remus said, pulling her from her memories as he kissed the mark again. I've got plenty, and, if I recall, you once told me I was beautiful. You're more than beautiful, Remus. Maya bit her lower lip as she admired his scars, or his body, scars and all, and threaded her fingers gently through his hair. I will tell you about the scar, I promise. Just not today. It's important. All right, as long as you're okay. Maya smiled affectionately. Thank you for respecting my privacy, she said, giggling when he responded by leaning up to kiss her soundly. There was a large difference between how Remus acted upon seeing the scar and how Sirius responded to it, but Maya forced herself not to compare the two. Hmm... As much as I'd love to shag you again. Oh, <clears throat> sorry. Wrong person. Mm. As much as I'd love to shag you again, she declared with a grin, pushing gently against his chest, you need rest and food, and we could both probably use a bath. He beamed at her, and she laughed again. Separate baths, as lovely as the prefect's bathroom is, and I'm sure I'll eventually join you there again. People will be looking for both of us, and I refuse to have Lily walk in on the two of us naked in a bathroom that I'm technically not even allowed in. Remus smirked. You told me Lily knew about us. She does, but frankly, I'd like her to not know everything. Come on, get dressed. Remus gave a low whine, and Maya smirked, ruffling his hair and enjoying the fact that the shaggy strands eventually fell back into place, unlike James, whose hair tended to take on a life of its own. She turned around to search for her clothing, and managed to get back into her bra and knickers before large hands wrapped around her waist, pulling her tight against a hard body. "'Are we really doing this?' Remus whispered against the shell of her ear, and she quivered at the feel of his hot breath. "'Us. For real.' All or nothing. She turned around and frowned up at him. Never all or nothing, Remus. I will never lose you, no matter what happens. So maybe it's all or... Or almost all. She smiled and reached up, 
brushing his bottom lip with her thumb, which he instantly captured between his teeth. A playful look in his eyes. She narrowed her own in response. No, you need rest and food. She insisted with a laugh when he began to pout. So be a good boyfriend, she ordered, smiling at the word, watching as he mirrored her expression of familiar delight. And listen to your girlfriend. Also, I would like to take a self-promotion moment to mention the fact that I remembered that I voice Maya and Hermione differently. Hermione is a little more, Professor, oh my god, ba, 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 ba. did we do this a bit in like very proper, whereas Maya's just like, what's up? High five. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, I have to point out my brilliance, otherwise people don't recognize it and don't applaud me for it. <laughs> oh my god. Look in the mirror. <sighs> I've been hanging out with Blaze entirely too much, but... Do you... Does, like, when your alarm goes off, does it do the... <laughs> Yay! Claire, get up! <laughs> Is it just... No, no, my alarm is Sophie, whose face is exactly level with the top of my bed. So she can literally just lean her head in without hopping up on the bed or anything and just boot my nose with hers. And hers is very cold and very wet in the mornings, um, especially because our house is, you know, in the mid 60s. And it is it is not not a pleasant way to wake up. Although Max has he sleeps in his own bed. But the past few nights around like 4 or 5 a.m. So like early enough that I still have time to sleep, but late enough in my sleep that I know I'm not going to get back into that like good, good sleep. That is when he's like, my parents are asleep enough. I can crawl into bed. And then he crawls into bed with us and it's very cute. And definitely preparing us for life with Yeah, because soon you're going to but... be waking up to... Ah, ah, ah. Yes. And hopefully he doesn't do what I used to do when I was little. Like, when I could, like, walk and stuff and get out of my own bed. Like, when there was thunderstorms, I'd get scared. So I'd go to my mom's side and I'd stand there and go... I <laughs> used to do that to my mom. <laughs> wake up like, why are you standing there breathing? It's thundering. I'm scared. Dude, fucking Sophie. Sophie does that. Like, we'll be like, all right, because Sophie's bedtime word is night-night. And then Max is just, go to your bed. And so we're like, all right, Sophie, night-night. Max, go to your bed. And so, you know, the lights are off. And you can hear Max's bed, like, squeak as he gets into it. And then... Jimmy will just like, you know, he and I will be like facing each other and like sharing Facebook memes or Instagram videos or something. And then we both roll over to face opposite directions so that, you know, we can breathe and not, you know, be breathing in each other's air because it gets hot and gross and cuddling is not fun after, you know, the first month or so of dating. Anyway, <laughs> I like sleeping on my side of the bed, damn it. But anyway, he like rolls over so that he's facing off of his side of the bed and he's just like, Jesus fucking Christ, Sophie. And she's just literally sit standing there like six inches away from his face, just like staring at him and not even breathing. She's dead silent and she's just like staring at you. And it's like, Sophie, Sophie, Sophie. Creepy. No reaction. It's like, 
hey Sophie, please go to bed. You're freaking me out, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like she's like that. She's... Uh, that in the trolls, the first movie where I forget what they're talking about, and then one troll goes like watching your parents sleep. <laughs> Straight up though, like she's such a great dog. She's so happy. She just has the biggest goofiest smile, but she fucking creeps me out because she'll do that. Like I'll wake up like maybe five, ten minutes before my alarm because I hate my brain and it does that. And I'll just wake up and I'll open my eyes and she's like right there. And I'm like, oh, good morning. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Did you need to pee? Okay, I need to pee first. Hold on. Uh, Dogs are great. And that that has been our tangent for the episode. So we will uh, get back to the, this. Was a, this is a longish chapter, but I feel like we've been doing a really good job of staying streamlined and reading. So like, yeah, five. Our, our review that we got today called us pros. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> How many podcasts do you listen to? Because I'm guessing it's not many. <laughs> but oh, 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 one last thing. I've been talking to one of our Belgian listeners and I had asked a question because I love Belgian chocolate shells and they're like these chocolate shells and they're filled with something and it's like kind of chocolatey but kind of nutty and I don't know what the fuck it is but it's so good and I used to love them and I was like is this something they actually eat in Belgium or is it just the thing that they like export to the Americans so we get you know the subpar chocolate and they get like the superb chocolate and so I got a video of a chocolate shop in Belgium and all I'm saying is that COVID needs to be over so that you and I can go to Belgium and be best friends with our fans and go to chocolate shops all day. Okay, here, Jimmy, you have to watch the baby for a little bit. We have to go do podcast research in Belgium. Can you watch the baby for like a week, maybe like six? Yeah. We got to go do like the WB studio tour. We got to go try some chocolate in Belgium. Um, We... Uh, I've been, oh God, we're going to read a little more because I want people to get invested again. And then I have to apologize to our patrons. It's nothing bad ish. It's not terrible. Okay. I'll just do it now. So patrons who became patrons, uh, who became, uh, foxes and wolves. That's what it is. Schwolves. Schwolves. Are wolves. <laughs> so, if you are a fox or a wolf and you became a fox or a wolf in November or December, you haven't gotten your stuff yet, and I am very sorry for that. Part of that is because pregnancy brain. Part of that is because we've had to reorder a lot of stuff because you guys blew through all of our postcards and all of our decals, and it's Christmas time, so everything is backordered and running slowly, and the postal service is, you know, having an existential crisis as they do every year. So, we are getting everything done. I have nearly all of them done. I think we were like three postcards short. And it makes me sad. Three postcards, no. Two postcards and three decals. And I don't want to send them out to Kat because then I don't want to have to pay for shipping again because we are a, we run this with fiscal responsibility at the forefront of our minds. So we are trying to be financially sound and also good to the environment and not over shipping things like fucking bed bath or no bath and body works where i ordered 10 things and it came in four boxes which why 
but also I got an order for a woman named Anne, and I don't know who she is, but it had my name on the outside, Anne's invoice on the inside, and then we read Anne's invoice, and the soaps that she got in there were not even on the invoice, so it was a whole clusterfuck, but uh, my husband may or may not have texted Anne, because Anne's phone number was on the invoice, and she was very confused, but we're going to send her her soaps that are not actually hers, so <laughs> it's been a... So yeah, okay, this is this is the tangent. This is... This is the divergence for the episode. Hi, Hannah Beth. I know you're rolling your eyes. This time we really are going to go read again. I just have to find out where I was. They parted ways at the Whomping Willow, comma, like normal, comma. Oh, I was so smart. I stopped at the at the chapter break. Oh, I'm a goddamn genius. They parted ways at the Whomping Willow, like normal, and slipped through secret passages in the castle to get, in order to get to their destinations while avoiding their friends, most notably James, Sirius, and Lily, at all costs. Maya skived off the one class she had that day, History of Magic, which she did feel slightly guilty over, but a hot bath was well worth the potential detention should Professor Binns even notice her absence, which was highly unlikely. She and Remus met up back in the kitchens for lunch, avoiding the Great Hall entirely, before retiring to the room of requirement for a much-needed nap. Nap. Mm-hmm. Nap. <clears throat> when they woke hours later, it was time for dinner, and the two realized they couldn't hide forever, nor did they want to. When they entered the Great Hall hand in hand, all eyes at the Gryffindor table turned and looked at them. Alice and Frank were smiling sweetly at the newly reunited couple. Lily and Mary looked positively besides themselves with excitement. James looked the perfect opposite. Cross. As Remus and Maya came to sit down uh, across from the other three marauders, Sirius smiled up at them knowingly and held his hand out towards Peter, who placed a small stack of galleons in it. You bet on this? Remus eyed Sirius and Peter. Maya rolled her eyes. I'd consider that cheating since Sirius had inside knowledge. Peter turned and glared at Sirius. You knew they'd gotten back together? No, Sirius said. I knew they would get back together, hence the sudden profit of money. Speaking of money, though, Pete and I have another bet going. Prongs and I were locked out of a certain clubhouse last night. Any ideas to why? Because ten galleons out of Peter's pocket says I have an idea. Maya could hear James's teeth grinding together. Fess up, Sirius said with a grin. You were supposed to be in the hospital wing. Maya reached across the table in search of pumpkin juice, smiling when she felt Remus begin moving beside her, putting a biscuit on her plate. And you're avoiding the question, kitten. That's fine, though. I'll take that love bite on your neck as my answer. He pointed to the mark, and then laughed when Maya gasped and brought her hand to her neck, casting a quick glare at Remus, who turned his eyes downward as he flushed red, trying to hide the smirk on his face. Sirius, ten galleons, Witcher, was beaming. She wanted to snap at him, but remembered that he was the reason that she and Remus had reconnected, to begin with. You're okay with this? Of course, Sirius nodded with a genuine smile. Maya decided to believe him. It had been many years ago for her, but she was still unsure when it came to the jealousy issue in boys. Ron's hurtful words the night of the Yule Ball, and then his ridiculous little relationship with Lavender Brown, made her think any time a boy did not get exactly what he wanted, a giant temper tantrum would await her. That's why Ronald Weasley sucks. There, I said it. Sorry, Juan Ron. How dare you. He was a brave little boy, and he was much better in the books. 
but also he and Hermione were trashed together. Instead, Sirius looked truly happy that she and Remus had taken the chance on a proper relationship. James pouted bitterly. I'm not okay with any of this. Not that anyone's bothered to ask me. That's because you don't need to be asked, Maya retorted, rolling her eyes. It's my life, my relationship. And considering the fit you threw last week, you'll be lucky if I ever tell you anything again, James Potter. You get your temper controlled right now. I swear on your life, if you say the word maidenhead again, I will hex you. Fine, I won't talk to you. James said irritably. He turned his eyes on Remus, who tried his best to sit up straight under the scrutiny. Mooney, I missed you last night, he said with a slightly threatening tone. I doubt he can say the same, Prongs. Sirius chuckled, and Peter snorted. Shut up, Padfoot, James scowled. Care to explain yourself? Remus cleared his throat. I won't need to. Oh, you really need to. Just, just wait, Remus pleaded. He let out a loud sigh of relief when there was a hoot from above, and a large brown owl soared in through the windows. It flew over the Gryffindor table and straight to James, carrying a formal-looking cream-colored envelope with golden writing in its beak. There was a small, unbroken crimson seal on the back of the letter, and many eyes were wide as they watched James carefully take the parcel from the bird. Is that what I think it is? Mary squealed. Lily blinked in confusion. What? James looked positively shocked. The previous scowl wiped from his face as he turned the envelope over in his hands, breaking the seal and removing the handwritten official letter. Alice and Mary were gasping at the sight, while Frank and Peter looked wide-eyed and shocked. Sirius wore an expression of pride. He kept glancing across the table at a nervous Remus, who was purposefully trying to keep his eyes focused on James, despite the look of surprise Maya was giving him. Does someone want to explain to the poor idiot Muggleborn what the hell is going on? Lily snapped angrily at the rest of the table. That's you. Well, thanks. Well, I just mean, like, if everybody was like, I can't believe this is happening, you'd be like, fucking explain it to me. (laughs) Hey, that's situational. Like, today, I made the joke about the nail salon, and you thought I was serious, and I wasn't. Like, I ain't going to a nail salon right now. Fair, fair. Fair, fair. That's a letter of intent, Mary shrieked. It's an old-fashioned pureblood thing men would send to the parents of the girl they wanted to properly in public court. It's very formal and romantic and completely unnecessary, Maya finished. She'd researched pureblood customs, traditions, and old pureblood laws and magics years ago after being adopted by the Potters. In order to make her pureblood status believable, she wanted to know everything a proper pureblood witch should know. Proper pureblood witch. Proper pureblood witch. Proper pureblood... Yeah, easy for me Peter Piper picked a pickle pepper. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. That I can do. But... Yeah, she can do the... Proper pureblood witch She can do the, what is it, the continent song, but you can't say... Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hannah Beth will kill you. It's also binding, Alice whispered. Remus has basically stated he'll take no other witches until Maya decides to cast him aside. Generations ago, this letter would have been considered a marriage proposal for her parents to consider. The letter was not entirely a surprise to Maya, but the fact that it was from Remus had thrown her. 
Not only was he a half-blood, but in sending that letter so publicly, he put his heart and pride on the line. If Maya stood up and said she wanted to marry him, Remus would be obligated to agree to it. She remembered how incredibly difficult the older Remus had been in accepting his own mate, Tonks. She had overheard an argument in the hospital wing the night Dumbledore died, during which Remus stated he could not be with Tonks because he was too old for her, too poor for her, and a werewolf to boot. Of course, they got over those little issues quickly and were married within weeks. Still, Maya felt guilty that Tonks had to fight for Remus while she was apparently gifted his heart so easily. Ignoring the fact that this sounds incredibly archaic, if not slightly romantic, Lily said in a whisper, why didn't he send one to her parents? I did, Remus replied. First chance I got. His eyes were still focused on James, who had finished reading the letter and stood up, staring across the table at him. Remus followed suit. Then why is Potter reading the letter of intent? Lily whispered, watching the scene as though it were a formal class on pure-blood society. It's a gesture, Maya smiled as she watched James's, James extend, extend a hand to Remus. Remus let out a shaky breath and took James's hand, and James let a smile cross his face. Now that my honor is restored, can we eat? The corner of Maya's mouth turned up in amusement as Remus and James retook their seats, ignoring the fact that every girl in the Great Hall was now eyeing Remus like he was the hero of one of Lily's ridiculous romance novels. All or almost all, right? Remus grinned at her, and Maya laughed, throwing her biscuit at his face. I still don't see what the big deal is, Lily said. I understand in older days that that would have been a precursor to marriage, but now? From what it looked like, Remus passed James a note asking permission to date you, which he already did for a year. A letter of intent is about courtship, Mary explained, reaching across the table and snatching the letter away from James so she could look at it. It means neither Remus nor Maya can uh, engage in dating activities with anyone else while they're together. It also means that if they break up, it's permanent. Says who? Lily asked. Society, Alice answered. They could break it off again and get back together a year from now, again, but everyone here in the Great Hall saw that letter. Some of the purebloods would consider Remus to not be a man of his word, and Maya? Well, they wouldn't have good things to say. Depending on connections, it could derail their future career plans or marriage prospects if they treated the letter of intent frivolously. Mary nodded, grinning as she read the letter before placing it back in the envelope and handing it to Alice. Maya could have actually taken this letter and burned it, and Remus never could have asked for her hand again if she'd denied him. Why do you think you've never gotten one from Jamie? Maya asked Lily with a chuckle. He knows you'd tread the thing, then he'd never have another chance to be with you. Lily scoffed. He doesn't have a chance with me regardless. Maya smirked as she saw the curiosity flash behind Lily's eyes. Ever since that Amortentia class, Lily had realized exactly what, or who, she was smelling behind the signature potion. If James did send her a letter of intent, Maya wondered what Lily's reaction would be. What does it say? It basically says that he would like to court her properly, and that his intentions are noble, and that he won't see anyone else, and should she reject him, he will respect her wishes and never pursue her again. So, basically, this is their last shot at dating, 
if it doesn't work out this time and they both say no, he can never ask her out Aww, again. Aw, sad panda. Yeah, but he does it with good reason. Cool. But yeah, so that was the episode. Yes. And it's time for our freaking foxes. We've got Jackie, Rachel, Becky, Sandra, Carissa, Adie, Leanne, Rebecca, Michelle, Cassie, Ryder, Amber, Ryland, Olivia, Heather, Sarah, Crystal, Chelsea, Ashley, Connie, Emma, Chelsea, Amara, Audrey, Claire, Roshan, Melissa, Jillian, Shelby, Martina, Nevi, Tori, Paige, Tyler, Sarah, Shannon, Samantha, Amanda, Dan, Miranda, Caitlin, Laura, Kara, Rin, Danielle, Kara, and Jenny, and Jade and Miriam. And thank you again, everybody who is donating to us. We appreciate it. And that's it for this week's Fire Whiskey and Honey podcast. We will see you next Fire Whiskey Friday! Thank you for listening to another episode of Fire, Whiskey, and Honey. A special thank you to Shyalani for allowing us to read your story. And thank you to Blue Ivy Creations for creating our logo and Hannah Beth for editing our episodes. You can find us on Instagram at FWHpod. And on Twitter at FWHpodcast. And on our website, fwhpod.com. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support and get extra content, please support us on Patreon and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to those who support us already. We wouldn't be here without you. See you next Fire Whiskey Friday. Mm-hmm.